In the winter of 1982, Sid Caesar came to my hometown of Louisville. He was in a production of Neil Simon's Last of the Red Hot Lovers at a local dinner theater, playing a mild-mannered guy who was unsuccessfully trying to enlist in the sexual revolution. At one point in the play, Caesar took a small instance of physical comedy and he performed it with a skill he demonstrated so many times on TV in the 1950s. It happened when his character tried marijuana for the first time, and Caesar made the bit all his own. He took a toke, and then he found himself unable to put his tongue back into his mouth. The words cannot describe it, but for minutes on end, and a minute is a long time, Caesar tried to get his tongue back into his mouth. He'd tilt his head and stick his chin out and try to move it under the tongue. Or he'd flip his head up, trying to trick the tongue into falling into his mouth. The bit kept building, and it's one of the few times I've seen a crowd almost literally fall out of their chairs with laughter. As the second-string reviewer for the newspaper I worked for, the Louisville Times, it was my job to write a review of the show. And when it was time for the curtain call, kind of an odd thing happened. Caesar came out to take his bow, and for the first time that night, he seemed uncomfortable. He muttered a curtain speech and beat a quick retreat. It seemed mechanical and stiff. I didn't know it at the time, but at the moment, Caesar was at his most vulnerable and anxious after a lifetime of alcohol and drug abuse. Sid Caesar was finally sober, and he was seeking peace from the demons he'd lived with for decades. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck. Seriously. Seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Thanks for coming to the potluck. My name is David Inman. To me, there are two comic giants of 1950s television, Lucille Ball and Sid Caesar. Now, because Caesar's shows weren't rerun as often as I Love Lucy, he isn't as well known to today's audiences. But for most of the decade, he performed monologues and comedy sketches on variety shows with titles like Admiral Broadway Review, Your Show of Shows, and Caesar's Hour. And fortunately, a lot of them are available on YouTube. His supporting cast included Carl Reiner, uh, Imogene Coca, Nanette Fabre, and Howard Morris. Caesar didn't tell jokes. He didn't dress up in women's clothes. He didn't drop his drawers. The humor came from the character and from the situation, and neither he nor any of his cast went for easy laughs. To Caesar, comedy was a discipline and a very serious business. He and his cast never broke character, with the possible exception of a sketch that parodied the 1953 film From Here to Eternity. That film featured a much-talked-about love scene between Burt Lancaster and Deborah Carr that takes place on a Hawaiian beach. They wear skin-tight bathing suits and make out furiously while the surf pounds around them. When Caesar and Imogene Coca did that scene, the pounding surf was produced by a prop man standing off camera, throwing buckets of water on them, almost cracking them up. Honestly, this is one of those clips that's much funnier seen than heard, but 
what the hell. Here it is. Out here on this beach tonight, I can forget the dance hall. With all the smoke and the noise and the dancing. <laughs> I can see it a different light. Seeing that as a hard-boiled dancer girl, but as a lost person. And I'm gonna find you, whoever you are. Monty, do you really mean that? Every word. Monty, I used to dream of a knight in shining armor who would catch me. At six foot two and over 200 pounds, Sid Caesar was a bear of a man. His build came in handy when he had to carry the tiny Howard Morris, as he does in the classic This Is Your Life parody, when Morris, as Caesar's overjoyed long-lost uncle, clings onto Caesar's leg as Caesar literally drags him across the stage. Once I asked Andy Griffith about what thought went into casting Howard Morris as Ernest T. Bass on The Andy Griffith Show, and Griffith cited that sketch. Yet, considering his bulk, Caesar could almost magically make himself seem smaller, becoming a housefly or a bee in a monologue or pantomime. Beyond having the body for physical comedy, he had a face capable of great dimension in communicating humor or pathos. I'll never forget a sketch I once saw with Sid Caesar and Nett Fabre as husband and wife. She's just bought an expensive fur coat and Caesar pleads with her to take it back. Instead, she goes into a monologue about why she isn't taking it back because she deserves the coat and because he deserves to be seen with someone dressed so beautifully. While Fabre keeps going on and on about her intention to keep the coat, Caesar doesn't say a word. He just steps into the foreground, looks right into the camera, and cries. That's it. He stands there in close-up and makes tears appear on live TV. It's slightly horrifying and yet still funny. Isaac Sidney Caesar grew up in Yonkers, New York, the youngest of three sons. His parents ran a 24-hour diner that drew a diverse working-class clientele of all ethnicities. Sidney waited on tables and absorbed the lingo he heard. He didn't understand any of the languages, but he became an expert in double talk, a skill that he also utilized on TV. Here he is in a sketch with Howard Morris titled The German General. Caesar plays a pompous military man, and Morris is his valet. <laughs> That's 
Ich hat gewaltet. Ja? Ja? Jetzt gefallen Sie sich eher, mach die immer, mach Mannigel Spick und Spähen. Ja. So. So. Gut. Ach, das ist schlipprig von der Schleife jetzt. Caesar's ability to mimic accents and speaking styles made him the hit of the diner. He also took up the saxophone, and at age 14, he was playing with small groups at resorts in the Catskill Mountains. That's where he also began doing a little comedy. He graduated from high school in 1939 and joined the Coast Guard that same year. He spent World War II at outposts in Brooklyn and Palm Beach, Florida. He married his lifetime wife, Florence, in 1943, and began playing gigs with big-time band leaders like Claude Thornhill and Benny Goodman. While he was stationed in Palm Beach, Caesar ended up in a service review called Tars and Spars, where he first came in contact with the man who would help shape his career, producer Max Liebman, who'd made his name putting together reviews at resorts in the Catskill Mountains, and who was instrumental in helping Danny Kaye become a star. Columbia Pictures bought the rights to Tars and Spars, and in 1946, Caesar made his film debut. One of the highlights of the film is his one-man parody of a war movie. Now the scene stays with Jim as he flies on to Bominches. Always looking down. Always looking down. Never look up, because that's where the Germans are. Finally, we see the Germans, five of them. The German planes always look so horrible. Always black, with the big swastika and the skull and the crossbones and the pilots. Always with the black mustache, the square goggles and the black helmets. They look so mean. <laughs> but the Americans. Mm, nice, clean-cut fellows. Mm, and the German planes, they don't sound like the American planes. The American planes always sound nice. Mm, but the German planes. <laughs> Finally, the German squad leader looks down, he sees smiling Jimmy, says to his comrades, Achtung, Achtung, bereit for the Stolmen, welche Schlüpfe so unbereich, we're sitzen ebens durch the Lüse. Let's go for the Führer. <laughs> smiling Jim looks up, sees the German planes coming down, he swoops his plane up. No, he's smiling. Jim gets in position, opens up. Two German planes go down. But still the German comes on. And the American... Jim gets in position again. Opens up. Two more German planes go down. Columbia signed Caesar to appear in a few more pictures. In a serious drama with Rosalind Russell called The Guilt of Janet Ames, Caesar did a comic bit in a dream sequence as a stand-up making fun of psychological movies like the very one he was appearing in. Then at the urging of Max Liebman, Caesar left Hollywood and returned to the East Coast. Working with Liebman, he developed a 45-minute act and started appearing in nightclubs. Caesar was gaining popular notice and good reviews, but there were signs of trouble. At a nightclub in Baltimore, Caesar became so enraged at what he perceived as rejection from the audience 
that he literally ripped a sink out of his dressing room wall, severing an artery in his hand in the process. Caesar's next big break came in a Broadway review called Make Mine Manhattan, and Liebman helped him write new material, including a monologue comparing going on a date in 1938 with only $5, which seemingly covers everything, and the same date 10 years later where $5 doesn't even cover cab fare. It's a funny sketch, and again, it's on YouTube. Make Mine Manhattan was a hit on Broadway, and Caesar was most of the show. He had finally hit the big time, but it didn't come without fear and stress. Caesar worried about remaining a hot property, and at the same time, he felt guilty over being paid so much while his father had worked much harder to barely make a living and eventually declared bankruptcy. To quiet those feelings of anxiety and guilt, Caesar turned to scotch. After a year, Caesar left Make Mine Manhattan, and he and Florence, along with their baby daughter, took a short vacation in the Catskills. When he got back to town, Caesar got a lunch invitation from Max Liebman, who wanted him to meet with NBC executive Pat Weaver, who, incidentally, is the father of actress Sigourney Weaver. A deal was put together over roast beef, an hour-long review each week. Liebman would be the producer. The other cast members included actress Imogene Coca, and the writers would end up being part of Caesar's staff for the next decade. The Admiral Broadway Review, brought to you by your Admiral dealer, the man to see for Admiral dual temp refrigerators, Admiral electric ranges, Admiral radios, phonographs, and magic mirror television. It's the Admiral Broadway Review, World Cruise. The show was the Admiral Broadway Review, and it kicked off in 1949. At that point, TV was still very primitive. A couple of cameras and a stage, and everything was live. The sponsor was footing the bill, so when the show would grind to a screeching halt for a five-minute commercial about Admiral radios and televisions, nobody complained. There was a large cast, but Caesar and Coca were the unquestioned highlights of Admiral Broadway Review. And then, abruptly, the show was canceled. Not because it wasn't popular, but because sales of Admiral products had gone through the roof, from 500 units a week to 5,000. The company needed to plow profits back into production. That is, production of radios and TVs, not of TV shows. But almost immediately, the team of Liebman, Caesar, and Coca, along with a staff of writers, moved to an even bigger project. Your Show of Shows, a 90-minute weekly review each Saturday night. In the early 1950s, two TV shows struck dread into the hearts of movie theater owners. Milton Berle's Texaco Star Theater and Your Show of Shows. And the latter was even more damaging because it kept people away from the movies on Saturday nights. Liebman told Caesar's wife, Florence, your husband is going to be a big, big star. But by now, she was worried about her husband's drinking, and she replied, Couldn't he be just a little star? Mel Brooks joined the new show as a writer, as did Tony Webster, and Howard Morris came on board as one of Caesar's second bananas. Then came Carl Reiner. The three men would work together for most of the 1950s. In 1952, Caesar won his first Emmy Award, and his talents were universally praised. 
Alfred Hitchcock compared him to Charlie Chaplin. Presidential candidate Dwight D. Eisenhower asked him where he learned to speak Russian. President Harry Truman's daughter Margaret asked him to do her favorite bit. But by now Caesar was drinking a fifth of scotch each night, and there were more ugly incidents. Once he was making a personal appearance in Chicago, and Mel Brooks was along. Brooks wanted to go to a few night spots, but Caesar didn't want to. I want to see Chicago, Brooks said. I don't want to sit here and watch you drinking. You want to go out? Caesar asked him. Then he took the much smaller Brooks and dangled him out the hotel room window, 18 stories up, until he came to his senses and pulled him back in. There was another incident where Caesar pulled a belligerent cab driver literally through his car window. He also punched out a horse when it threw his wife, a bit that Mel Brooks would go on to use in Blazing Saddles. Caesar actually considered going to Alcoholics Anonymous, but he says in his biography that NBC wouldn't let him go because of the risk of being exposed. So he went to see a doctor who prescribed chloral hydrate. In those days, it was a medication thought to reduce alcohol dependency but it didn't take long for Caesar to start taking the drug and washing it down with scotch. Caesar's next step was to begin seeing a psychiatrist who also began prescribing medication. The reign of your show of shows continued until the fall of 1954. At that point, NBC was interested in breaking up the power trio of Liebman, Caesar, and Coca. Liebman turned to producing elaborate TV specials, often adaptations of Broadway shows. Coca was given her own TV series that never quite gelled. It only lasted one season. And Caesar took Reiner, Morris, Mel Brooks, and his other writers to Caesar's Hour, which ran another three seasons until it faced the stiff competition of a new program called The Lawrence Welk Show. Caesar went through several shrinks, including one who gave him a very clear reason for why he drank and took pills. Your drinking and pill-taking are just symptoms, he said. There are whole offshoots of your life that are destructive. Your self-punishment is more than just drinking. You will not let yourself be happy. You get yourself into a state where you act like an oaf instead of an intelligent, well-read man. You're actually challenging executives to see you as an oaf when you're drunk or stoned so that the next time they think of you for a project, they say to themselves, who needs that schmuck? Caesar thought enough of that explanation to include it in his autobiography, but at the time he says he couldn't accept what the doctor was saying. During the 1960s and 70s, Caesar went through high and low periods. Movie successes like It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and Grease would alternate with long periods where Caesar wouldn't leave his house. Dinner theater came along in the early 1970s and Caesar toured sporadically, still hooked on his toxic mixture of booze and pills. In May 1978, in Regina, Saskatchewan, Caesar all but broke down on stage and was rushed to the hospital where he was weaned cold turkey from all medication and alcohol. The hotel physician paid close attention to Caesar's case and ordered him to begin physical exercise. Caesar returned to LA and joined a health club, trying to substitute healthy addictions like a clean diet and physical activity for the negative ones. He wasn't out of the woods yet. There were relapses. A glass of wine with dinner would lead to another one and then a family quarrel. 
but there were more sober periods in between. Which brings us to where we started, at Derby Dinner Playhouse in Louisville, January 1982. Caesar was staying at a hotel right down the street from the theater. Here's what he writes in his autobiography. On the few sunny, fairly warm days, I would take walks. About a half mile down the Ohio River, I found a fascinating discovery. There was a huge dam there. I'd study it for hours at a time, for as long as I could stand the cold, because it reminded me of my interpretation of Einstein's theory of relativity. There was all this water going over the dam and accomplishing absolutely nothing. To me, this wasted water represented all the nows I had left slip by in my life. Those nows, like the wasted water, never became wases. On the other hand, there was a different volume of water going through the dam's sluices. These were nows that were being taken advantage of. It was all fanciful and conceptual, but it very successfully kept my mind where it belonged on the positive rather than the negative. Now, I don't know how often Caesar's thoughts return to that time or place, and I don't know if to him it was a milestone in his journey to a more fulfilling life. I don't know. But I do know that, thankfully, Caesar's work lives on. So do yourself a favor. Go to youtube.com sometime soon and type Sid Caesar into the search box and watch a sketch. I can't think of any more effective way to truly appreciate the talent of Sid Caesar and the laughter he produced, despite his demons. There's a change in the weather, change in the sea. From now on, there'll be a change in me. Walk will be different, my talk and my name. Nothing about me's gonna be the same. Change my long tone for a little short fact. Change my number where I'm stopping at. Nobody wants you when you're old and gray. There'll be some changes made today. There'll be some changes made. My name's David Inman. Thanks for coming to the potluck. See you later. Change in the weather, change in the sea. From now on, there'll be a change in me. What will be different from talk and my name? Nothing about me's gonna be the same. Change my long tone for a little short fast. Change my number where I'm stopping at.